This episode of Finding Demo Surf Fishing is being brought to you by Ninja Tackle. Go on over to ninjatackleva.com and get yourself set up at all the wonderful things that he has there. You need to get your hands on that seven-foot travel rod, four pieces, because you like to travel? Oh, yeah, it's there. Maybe you need the bummy stick. Hey, real good, real, real good piece of gear right there. Now, uh, what else do we have? Oh, we've got the 11 and 12-foot daggers. What do you know? we got all these things with a 9 and the 8-6 in between. Lots of good rods. Maybe you need gear, reels, or bait. He's got it all. So head on over to NinjaTackleVA.com. Get your order in today. Oh yes, new week, new episode. Always fun to be able to get here and bring these new ones to you. Hope you're doing well wherever you are. Hope the fishing's been good. And uh, if you haven't been out, well, hopefully you get out soon. I know some of our listeners are up north and you guys are still dealing with that, what they call winter, supposedly. Uh, we, we haven't seen a ton of it this year down here in Florida. And I'm not overly sad about that, if, uh, if we're being completely honest. But this week we are traveling over to northeast Florida, just a little road, road trip, if you will. Um, we're going to be talking with Mr. Noel Kuhn. And you can find his information all on social media here. We got him on Facebook and the website. You can find him as uh, when you search Surf Fishing Charters jacksonville florida he's popping up first because that's the name of it the website is thesurfangler.com and if you search for noel on social media on the facebook page you're going to find him uh let me find that there we go surf fishing guide boy ah, my digital media is not working with me today is it but lots of good fun stuff noel is a uh, doesn't need a ton of introductions. If you've never heard of him, he's well-known in the Northeast Florida region for sure, and really all throughout Florida. Hell of an angler, super long caster, and has been teaching a lot of people how to do surf fishing for, uh, good Lord, he'll tell us how long, but I know it's been a while, and he's uh, he, he really kind of helped me out about 100 different ways, and we'll get into that in the episode. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Uh, wow. Without further ado, let's try that again. Welcome to the show, Noel. Thanks for coming, man. Oh my gosh. Tongue tied. Uh, all right. <laughs> That's all right, Brian. Good to be here with you, man. Well, thanks again for coming on. Definitely for the, to start. But the other part also is thanks for all the knowledge that one you've shared online and in person well for me personally of course but in general thank you for always being that guy that's willing to share certainly and yeah, i'm digging that uh, intro music it reminds <laughs> me of you ready 1976 and i caught my first pompano on the var beach wow 76 yeah, you were yeah. fishing here huh that's pretty cool exactly yeah and i transitioned uh, over to the east coast about three years after that and uh, been wide open ever since yeah, I think wide open is a fair, fair set of words. You have, <laughs> since I've known you, you have always been uh, doing something with fishing, whether it's out on your own, out on a charter, teaching seminars, you, you have always had something going on. So I can only imagine. Yeah. It's been a heck of a journey in the last, the last 14 years, especially that's when I became a professional guide and started teaching seminars and got into the long distance casting. So yeah, paying it back and sharing all the knowledge for, for 14 years now. Well, it's going to be interesting to try to get 14 years into this episode, but I'm going to find a way. 
<laughs> no, you really got to dig deep because uh, it's 47 years of surf fishing. So let's, let's oh. cram as, in as much as we can. Oh, what could possibly go wrong with the, the amount of knowledge we're about to be- get bestowed on us? That's going to be a lot. <laughs> so I uh, hope y'all brought notepads and uh, ready to go for this. Well, we'll go all the way to the back, uh, way back when, and we'll start at the fun stuff. So tell us your story and what got you into fishing. Yeah, we got to go back to 1963 at a freshwater lake. Uh, in Keystone Heights, Florida. My parents put me in the back of the boat. I'm five years old. I had a little uh, Johnson spin caster and they gave me a can of worms. And of course, they were up in the front of the boat with the big rigs and the big live shiners and, uh, you know, put the kid in the back of the boat. He'll be fine. Well, I started yelling for my dad. I got a big fish and he said, you're hung on a stump or something. I said, dad, this is a fish. And so who caught the biggest bass that day? five-year-old with wigglers i caught a seven pound largemouth wow that's not a tiny fish that that did it that i was hooked i just wanted to go fishing all the time ever since that moment wow that is yeah i can i can see the idea of being caught up on the old uh the old logs there i hear that quite a bit in the bass world like oh yeah you're hooked you're hooked up on the bottom you're not getting that back yeah (laughs) yeah so all those years combined to now what type of fishing do you like to do you know, I really enjoy it all. I've said in the past, well, first of all, I've been lucky enough to fish from Alaska to Miami and everything from salmon to bonefish. I really do like it all. I just thought of the way I described to people. I don't care if it's bluegill, bluefish, or blue marlin. As long as you've got the right tackle and you're enjoying yourself, that's what fishing is about. Yep. Absolutely, Yes. So what is your favorite thing about fishing? Uh, It's a combination. It's it's a combination between relaxing and pure adrenaline, where you can go from zero to 100 miles an hour when that drag starts screaming. So it's it's both. It's it's almost like it's just my happy place. It's, uh, once again, between relaxing and running up and down the beach, it's... it's, uh, it gives me everything I need, including that fresh air and sunshine and, and the smell of the ocean. Everything you need for happiness. Yes, right there. Yes, no <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, what is your favorite fish to target? You know, since I've been doing this guiding thing, it's kind of turned into what does the customer want to catch? Uh, yeah. And it's it's between uh, a nice big pompano and a hundred pound plus black tip shark. Ooh, that's a range. Yeah. And everything in between. So it's my favorite fish for a long time. Now has been all the fish that swim in the surf, every species. Fair. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the great thing about surf fishing too, is we catch so many different species right from the beach. And, and people are really surprised to hear that. They're like, how do, how do you catch that? It's like, everything swims here. It Whatever it's going to yeah. come by, it's going to try to eat. Yeah, my best day is 11 different species. Oh, wow. That's on, a- the, on the same rigs. Yeah, 11 different species on a double drop rig. It was a heck of a day. Oh, the double drop. I, I, I still maintain this, and I will say it. I have no problem saying it on this show, uh, is the double drop is a very versatile rig. It can do some stuff. Yeah. It sure can. <laughs> tie, tie, it, tie it super light for catching a bait fish or tie it 
super heavy for catching big game fish. Yes, sir. Absolutely on that one. Well, what about yeah. this? What has been your craziest or favorite catch? We'll do craziest. Um, so I had a customer who invited me to fish the tip of Cape Canaveral. In order to fish there within sight of the rockets, you've got to be a NASA employee. And you can only take two rods. And cameras are watching you on the beach, by the way, while you're fishing in the shadows of those rockets. Uh, <laughs> the pompano bite was on. I mean, it was hot. So the three of us, we all brought two pompano rods. And about every fourth or fifth pompano, we're paying the tax man because the black tips were crashing them. So my buddy knows how much I like to catch sharks. And I said, is there any chance that you've got some steel leader? He said, yeah, there's some in my tackle box. So I tied on a piece of steel leader and a chunk of fresh fish. I casted it out there on my 11-foot pompano rod with a – most most people fishing know what a Abu 6500 is, a small reel with 14-pound test, and cast it out there and just let's see what happens. Well, the first run stripped me right down to the knot, and the first run was straight east. And at the tip of Cape Canaveral, we've got so much current and so big a tide change that Cape Canaveral, about 150 yards out, is a sandbar. It's the craziest thing. There is no sandbar close, but there's a big sandbar out from the Cape. And that shark hit that sandbar, and I, I knew I lost it. The line went limp. But the shark swam right back at the beach. I'm about, I've got about half my line back, and the second run starts. Shark does a U-turn, heads right back to that sandbar again. Line went limp. I caught up to him. And then, I should say she, headed south. She headed south towards Cocoa Beach. And I started running. And I told my buddy, if Jeff Rafters listen to this, do you have a camera? Yes, I do. Grab your camera. Please follow me. I don't think I'm going to land this fish, but come on. And... Quite a while later, we were about a thousand yards down the beach, and I mean a thousand yards down the beach because I, I wasn't stopping this fish with 14-pound mono. <laughs> and I've got a picture of this fish to prove it. That this black tip was approximately seven foot long and weighed 150 pounds. Oh wow! It was. As a matter of fact, on my website, yeah, it's still on my website. The picture of that day. On the header of my website, which you mentioned earlier, is thesurfangler.com. There's a picture of me standing in knee-deep water with that little Abu Garcia reel and that rod bent over. And that was a day that I landed that fish. And, uh, yeah, just a heck of a battle. And it's one of those things that if it hadn't been for that sandbar out there, it would have been a done deal. But, uh, yeah, landed that big beast and, and uh, got a celebratory picture of it. Oh, definitely a well-earned one. I mean, that piece right there, and I know we'll get into this a little bit further, but I, I got to say it with here, it, it just goes to show that, you know, drag manipulation, patience, time, that goes a long way. You can do a lot with that little. You are exactly right. And that's the, um, that's the key, using that drag right, making sure your drag's not sticky, and... Um, which goes back to maintenance of your reels. But yeah, the, the stars all aligned that day for me to line, land that fish. <laughs> That's a hell of a catch. So very much so congratulations. That's real good. 
All right. You've caught a tons of fish, obviously. I mean, like you said, Alaska to Miami, lots of good fishing in yeah. between. But there's still got to be something out there. What is a bucket list fish that you want to catch? There's actually two of them. Oh, okay. And I, I've been working on them for about five years, and I have a plan next week. Um, I'm going to be over in the panhandle, and that fish is a big cobia from the beach. So I've done my research. I know what baits to use. I'm going to cast a long ways. I've caught small cobia. Yeah. But I'm talking about a, a true big cobia from the beach. So that's number one. And the other one that keeps eluding me is a big permit. I've, uh, I've been traveling to South Florida now for, oh, about 18 years. And every year I do the exact same thing. I'm catching my little live crabs. Got all the line to stop one, but. You know, it's either the week before I was there or the week after there, somebody landed a 40-pound permit off the beach. But my day's coming. That's when preparation meets opportunity. <laughs> I mean, you might catch a – you've caught dinkers, though. You you just want that super big, what is it, like a 30-plus incher? Uh, yeah, more like 30-plus pounds or 40-plus yeah, pounds. Yeah, I, you want the yeah, super. I've caught, I've, yeah, I've caught them, you know, pumping up fishing. I've caught them up to eight pounds, but no, one that – will not fit in the cooler one that you you moan and groan picking up out of the surf <laughs> but but totally smiling while doing it oh yeah. no doubt about that oh, yeah sure. that 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 day will come all right now the last question here before we move into fishing tips tricks and knowledge have you do you have a right off the top of your head absolute favorite fishing memory hmm yeah i do that would be um August the 5th, 2004, me and the wife are on the beach. It's a hot day over here in Northeast Florida. We've got these fluffy red coquina beaches that's hard to walk in. And I told her, if we don't catch a decent fish by 11 o'clock, let's just go up to the nice beach and go swimming. And just before 11 o'clock, my surf rod doubles over and rips off most of the line, which is 20-pound test. And after about a 30-minute fight, I see two fins come up. I thought somehow I had hooked two sharks. I, I didn't know exactly what was going on. I'd never seen two fins, and they weren't that far apart. Um, it took a long time to land this fish. I hate to say it, but it took me an hour and 45 minutes to land a, an eight-and-a-half-foot lemon shark on a surf rod. Whoa. Yeah, and my 20-pound mono, there's some rocks at this beach. And the reason I couldn't, I couldn't put a lot of heat on this fish because he had rubbed my line across the rocks a couple of times and I could feel it when I was gaining line. When I got this huge beast to the beach, just as I'm trying to land him, the line broke. I threw my rod down in the sand, which is not like me, but after an <laughs> hour and a half of battling, or hour and 45 minutes of battling this fish and all that heat, I was exhausted. I didn't even think twice. I threw my rod down in the sand. I remember I had some rope in my cart to help me pull the cart up those real steep dunes. He's thrashing around in about two feet of water. I grabbed that rope. I made a lasso. I jumped down there and grabbed that big tail, lassoed him, and pulled him up on the beach. And uh, I ended up being in the newspaper. Somebody saw this and took pictures of it and deemed me the surf cowboy 
<laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there, the one cool caveat to it, that was in 2004. This shark was tagged. So I removed the research tag and um, called it in. And they told me that shark was tagged uh, five years previous down in the Keys. And it weighed 110 pounds. And when I caught it, it weighed 240 pounds. And the angler that tagged it, he was from England over here on what he called Holiday. And he's a sports writer. He travels around the world, catches fish, tags them, goes back to England and writes for the magazines. And he'd been doing it for 30 years. And this is the only tag he'd ever gotten back. Oh, wow. That must have been a highlight yeah. for him. It was. And that's what got me into shark tagging. And since then, I've, I've tagged hundreds of them. Um, anyway, that was just a, it was just such a fight. And so lucky that I got him when the line broke right as I was trying to get him in. And, uh, yeah, that's my surf cowboy story. Wow. A title well-deserved. <laughs> right. Oh man, that's fun. All right. So let's yeah, move well, into the, this is the meat and potatoes part here of the show. Um, so I love this one because this is where people really start getting into this, uh, knowledge piece to get better at fishing, whether they're starting out, they've been fishing for, you know, 40, 40 years plus, whatever it may be. This is always the fun part. So let's start it off in the beginning here. How do you plan your fishing trips? All right. So there's several key ingredients. Let's just talk about the three T's. Number one is tide. Over here on the East Coast, we normally have at least five feet of tide. That can make a huge difference on what beach you fish on. Um, the second thing is time of the year, because we've got definite seasons when the fish, certain species of fish are here and they're not. And the last T is temperature, which is water temperature, because just like you and your spouse, y'all may argue over the thermostat, but fish don't. When it gets cold, they leave. When it gets too hot, they leave. So that's the three things I think about, about what beach I'm going, what we're going to target is tide, time of the year, and temperature of the water. So that's the pro right. So that's pretty much the primary is you go with, all right, you plan your trip around that, the three T's. Correct. Oh, yep. Okay. I'm tracking now. All right. So when you get out there and you're like, all right, everything's good on the three T's. Now, how do you select your spot? that boils down to one of the most important things about surf fishing is how to read the beach. You know, how do you, how do you decide where you're going to set up? And that is based on reading the waves, you know, at low tide, it's easier to see, you know, cause we, we got five feet of water that's going to drop out and you can see the structure better. But once you learn how to read the waves, then you can tell where the structure is. I'll first stand up on top of the dunes and look, and if I see something, then I'll go down to the water's edge and look to the look to the north and look to the south, and I'm looking for something different. Instead of just the sandbar, I'm looking through, I'm looking at cuts or runouts through the sandbar. Then I'm looking, how wide is the trough? Is the trough deeper in an area? Does the trough narrow and then open back up, which creates a funnel or like an hourglass where the fish are going to be traveling, you know, real close to the sand, where that trough comes to a pinch point so to wrap it up i'm looking for something different that can that can increase my odds definitely makes sense and i like that you're bringing up about the troughs and let's definitely um talk a little bit more about that one because i think that 
a lot of people start hearing the terminology. I've only had a couple of listeners message me and they're like, what do you mean by cut? What do you mean by trough? And I've explained, you know, hey, cut the sandbar piece. Trough's going to be a hole. Think of it like that. You know, it's like a deeper little thing, little pinch point um, for a place for you to throw. But when you mention the troughs and the deep point, why is that such an important thing to know about? Because the fish are highly migratory. They travel all their life. And over here on the East Coast, I can equate it to if you and I wanted to go to Miami, there's three roads we can take. There's A1A, which goes right along the beach. A little bit farther inland is US-1. They'll get us there quicker. And then 95 South, which will get us there much quicker. Well, the fish are traveling the same way. If you're standing on dry sand and you walk out into the water, you feel that first little drop off, that's A1A. That's where they're going to be actively feeding. They're not they're not traveling. They're looking for food right near your feet. And then the second highway they travel on is US-1, which if you're looking out at the sandbar, is just inside the sandbar. Um, if you've ever walked out into the ocean and you're walking out to that sandbar, it gets just a little bit deeper just before you get to the sandbar. Well, that's US-1. Then you've got the sandbar. Then out past that, you get into much deeper water. That's 95 south. When they're out there, it's either the big pelagics feeding or the smaller fish like pompano, they're traveling. When they decide that the, the water's too cold, the water's too hot, they're out of food, they'll be out there on 95 south just getting it. They're not interested in feeding. They're just traveling. So that's what I'm looking for differences in those three would say highways of travel where they're traveling north or traveling south or over on the panhandle if they're going east or they're going west um I'm, i need to find out where they are which which road are they on so that's the areas i target are those three highways but i want to look for something different i want to look for curves which i'll find at a run out or i'll find something deeper which is where the, the trough will be deeper. And then if you look down, up and down the beach, you'll see the water's darker. So that's what I target, where I, where I target. That's probably the best explanation and analogy setup uh, I think I've ever had on this show. So well, thank you. Yeah. That, that was very well said, sir. And uh, I mean, it helped me. I was like, man, I never thought to explain it like that. That's brilliant. We, yeah. yeah. When, I, when, I'm, when I'm explaining to my students, I tell them, you know, if we want to go to 95, if we want to go to Miami, we can go down 95 South and be there in five hours from Jacksonville. If you go out US one, it's going to take you about 10 hours. If you travel down a one a, it's going to take you about two days to get there. <laughs> yes, it is. Bring an a one a same way. Those fish are taking their time. They're just hungry and they're up against that first drop off looking for food. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect explanation on it all. And with that one, I mean, it brought us right to the right time. It's time for us to have a, uh, that little thing you always do every 20, 25 minutes.
It is the first bait check of the episode, so bring that line in, check your bait, make sure it is still on there, or maybe it needs a refresh. If you haven't had any hits yet since you've been out there, hopefully you can change it up. Maybe you got to change your spot, maybe you got to change where you were casting. Noel just gave you a really good explanation of what you should be looking for, and hopefully you can see that you are right where you need to be. This bait check is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. Go on over to dscustomtackle.com and start finding all the really fun stuff that you can get your hands on in the fishing world. You need terminal tackle? Covered. Floats? Beads? Covered. Hooks? Done. No problem. Maybe some different kinds of jigs for different types of fishing. Absolutely covered. All the way from the tip of Maine to the bottom of Florida or Oregon all the way down to Baja, Mexico. There's plenty of stuff there at DS Custom Tackle for you to get your hands on. So again, dscustomtackle.com. Get your order in today. So we've talked about the trough. We talked about the highway. This was perfect there. So now that you've mentioned that, let's talk about where you're going to set up into that. Where do you cast your lines? Excellent question. So the simple answer would be cast one as far as you can, cast one at a medium cast, and then always cast one short. That just that's right down to the to the very basic of it. You know, and going back to the previous question, where is that highway? Right. So when I'm casting medium, I'm not just blindly casting at half speed. I want to make sure I land just inside the sandbar. Um, so I'll put one as far as I can throw it out there on 95 South, throw one target specifically just before the sandbar. And the first one will be really close. It, it amazes me how many big fish I've caught where in the beginning, in the beginning, I would never think about throwing it that short. Yeah. I had, you know, back in 1976, just throw it as far as you can. The bigger <laughs> fish are out there. No, 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 my friend. Um, I've caught several pompano over six pounds that have been, I almost could have caught them with a cane pole. Um, they were that close to my feet. So find where they are. Medium, short, long. If you've got three rods or if you've only got one rod, try it at a distance. If that doesn't work, you either need to try a different bait or try a different distance. The piece you were talking about there, too, with the separating it out, you know, the, the highway, great discussion there piece again. And the part about being up close, I think so many people overlook the close. And I don't know if it's, you know, we, we can say YouTube or, uh, you know, social media, but throwing within the first 50 feet, uh, you will find some crazy stuff because a perfect example I have found, by all means, please correct me on this. You know, you go scoop for sand fleas they see you, they're going to bury it, sure, but they're also going to shoot out. They want to get away from you, so they're going to run. Well, while they're doing that travel, those fish, they know they're doing that too. They know they're not going to hang out on shore all the time. They're going to come swimming out there, and that's where they are, or the coquina clam, and they're going to come short to get those and crush them. You are exactly right, yeah. Oh, and oh, by the way, everybody, um, a pompano can flip on its side and still swim and still eat. It doesn't doesn't just have to stay upright. <laughs> yeah, just tell anybody that the hook has come out in four inches of water and you're a grown adult man or woman trying to run down a pompano in four inches of water. Yeah, it's like trying to catch a UFO that's been greased with Vaseline. And they're <laughs> so much faster. It's like, how? How are you? No, come here. <laughs> <laughs> 
brother, I have I have been there. I've been that silly guy jumping on try, four times trying to jump on one pompano because just like you said, they're slippery and they're very fast when uh-huh. they get when they turn on their side. And if you're at the beach with anybody and you start hearing no, no, and then you see that you already know what it is. Just just try to help them. Like where'd he go? Let's let's try to get it back. It's always pre- yeah. preceded by that. Oh no, not this. Please no. Perfect. Uh, so in our world you you, gosh you could talk to this one so many different ways whether pro con blah 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 but let's just keep it simple here with your style of fishing what type of rigs do you like to use i only use two types of rigs which is we mentioned before is a double dropper yep um and i catch 90 percent of my fish uh with a two-aught circle hook uh, the, the cheap, inexpensive Eagle Claw L197. So that paired up with a sinker that is heavy enough to cast where I want it to go, and more importantly, to stay in that strike zone where I threw it to. So once I put in a bait in place, it's got to stay there. So that's on the double dropper. And I tie it anywhere from 20-pound test up to 60-pound test, depending on what we're after. And the other rig... I call it my big game rig. It's also called a sinker slider rig or a fish finder rig where you've got your sinker and then you've got a snood or a trace behind that with a hook. You're fishing with one hook. And with that rig, I don't like to use a Sputnik sinker because that bait's going to flow all around depending on the wave and the tide and the currents. So I want that bait to be uh, really, really natural. So, and that, that fish finder rig I'll use for the big game, which is going to be big uglies or big red fish or shark or tarpon, or hopefully that big cobia and that big permit this year. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just, just two rigs. Um, every once in a while, I'll live line something, but no, the, the double dropper rig and the fish finder rig, that's all you really need. Perfect set right there. And you already nailed the other yeah. one. You just mentioned it with what kind of sinkers you're using primarily Sputniks, unless it depends on the kind of rig you're using. You know, you, you'll vary it. Yeah. So on that fish finder rig, I just like a big pyramid or a big storm sinker, which has three sides instead of four sides like a pyramid does. Um, and once again, enough weight to hold it where you threw it. You want it to stay there. Right. Uh, uh do you have a preference between mono or fluoro when it comes to your rigs? Um, I don't unless I go into really clean water. Um, 99% of the time, I'm using regular uh, mono to tie my rigs. When I come over on the panhandle, I will use some fluoro. When I go down to South Florida where the water is really clean, I'll use fluoro down there. But um, most of the time, it's not worth the expense because our water never really cleans up really I call it Bahama blue. We don't get that water very often over here. Yeah. I've, a few of you guys have told me, you know, on our days where we're like, eh, it's kind of like a five. It's kind of ugly. And you guys are like, uh, this is a nine. Th- this is the greatest water <laughs> I've ever seen. Shut up. We're fishing. <laughs> you are exactly right. What's a 10 on one coast is not a 10 on the other coast. Definitely not. <laughs> it's, it's fun to see there. Well, you mentioned bait, yeah. um, especially in, especially with what you're targeting is very specific. Let's talk about that. What kind of baits do you like to use? Yeah, I always try to go to the beach with multiple baits because especially pompano could be real picky. But 
it, it does make a difference. Um, but what I like to go to the beach with is some live fleas, some live clams, some live blue crab, and what I call fresh killed shrimp, which means I bought them live and buried them in the ice. Um, so I've got, I've got all the gamuts covered, you know, without getting into using fish to catch fish. But that's my four go-tos, and I try to always have all four baits because sometimes they won't eat a clam. Sometimes they really don't want sand fleas. It's it's crazy, um, but a lot of times I'll I'll do two different baits on the double dropper rig, and if I see a pattern where they're always hitting the bottom hook with the clam, or they're always hitting the top hook with the flea, then I'll switch strictly to fleas or strictly to clams. And, and here's a little tip: if you do put two different kinds of baits on the same double dropper rig, and you can't remember what bait he hit on. Always put the whatever swims lower in the water column, put that on the bottom hook. That way it's easy to remember, you know, because a, a clam is definitely deeper than a flea, or a clam is deeper than a crab. Um, a shrimp is higher in the water column than a flea because a shrimp doesn't bury down in the sand like a flea does. So if you're fishing more than one kind of bait, whatever swims lower in the water column, put that one on the bottom hook, and that'll help you figure out what they're hitting. Wow, that was super. I never even thought of that. I just always had to write it down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I used to, before I figured it out, I used to write it in the sand. Yep. Behind my <laughs> behind my sand spike, yes. I would put flea and crab, uh, an F and a C yeah. to remember. But after that, no, no, just whatever swims lower, put it on the bottom hook. I still do that. And then I'll put like max cast or back of bar, front of bar. You know, it's like little notes. You're like, okay, I'll remember you. And then you get into the adrenaline. You're like, oh crap, what was that? And you look down and you're hopeful. And then you see your footprint and you're like, damn it, I missed it. But it can be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> not when you're, not when your foot, your race is a chalkboard. Yeah. <laughs> That's very, yeah. very true. What about um, artificial size? I mean, I know you're a part of the Fish Bites Pro staff is there. Uh, do you just go uh, live all the time? Do you like to use artificials? What else do you go with there? No, I, I really enjoy the Fish Bites product. Um, there's several good art, quote, artificial baits on the market. Um, but Fish Bites has saved the day several times. Um, so I always have Fish Bites. You know, on the on the cart, you know, it, it took me about five years to really believe in artificial because remember that kid we talked about that was five years old with a can of worms? <laughs> yeah. You got to use fresh bait. You got to gotta use the natural bait. But so before I was on board totally with fish bites, I used to put one rod at the end of the spread and it hit me finally. If I was catching fish on my real baits, I was catching fish on the fish bites also. And then a couple of buddies of mine switched strictly to fish bites. And if I'm catching fish down the beach, I look down there catching fish down the beach also. It really, a trip to St. George Island sealed that deal. A buddy of mine had been fishing fish bites for two years and he caught fish. So the other reason I, I like the artificial bait that stays on the hook really good is if you get into a situation where you've got lots of crabs in the surf, you know, kind of crush your floats. Um, one particular trip on St. George Island, we couldn't keep real bait on the hook. I mean, it was ridiculous. We check them at 15 minutes, bait gone. Check them at 10 minutes, bait gone. Check them at five minutes, bait's gone. Wow. And 
Yeah, and finally figured out what it was, because even a professional caster will have a backlash occasionally you crack off a rig. Well, later that morning, I caught one of my own rigs and reeled it in, and tangled up and all that was two calico crabs. Well, me and my buddy Mark Burford, we switched over to fish bites, because we knew they'd stay on the hook longer. That morning and the next morning, we only got 16 bites total out of fishing two mornings but we had 16 big pompano on fish bites only. And the difference was it gave the fish time to find the bait because evidently the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico looked like a national geographic moment with this giant migration of calico crabs. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And they were, you were just the drive-through. It was. I mean, as soon as our baits hit the water, they were on it. But you can imagine you're a pompano. You're swimming above this sea of calico crabs. They're everywhere. And you hear this click, click, click of their claws eating on our baits. So the pompano goes over to check it out. The crabs scatter, and there's a fish bite laying there. Boom. It, it, was, a, it was one of those moments. That it was definitely that aha moment. Yeah. Um, Definitely. And yeah. it, it, I love that it does that. And that's really cool that that happened. I can only imagine seeing that whole migration. That would have been a, that would have been a sight to see. Yeah. And the other time I really enjoy using fish bites is in the summertime when you've got this, this new boom of baby pompano and baby whiting where you throw your bait out there. You never see your rod wiggle. You only see a crab pulling on it. You pull it back in. There's no, there's no bait. Well, they didn't take me long to figure that out. When the tide dropped out, there was a tidal pool, and I threw a chunk of crab in that tidal pool, and from nowhere, I had 10 baby pompano, like piranha, chewing on that one crab knuckle. It was the darndest thing I've ever seen. Wow, that is pretty and weird. That hit me. That hit me. That's why I'm losing my bait. It's not crabs. It's baby pompano and baby whiting just destroying your bait as soon as it hits the water, and literally 10 pompano chewing on one piece of crab or one piece of shrimp. It only takes a matter of a minute. Your bait's gone. Yeah. So I always use it in the summertime when you've got that new hatch of these little two and three inch long fish. Man, that's, it's kind of like pinfish too. If you think about anything else, it's just, they're just scavenging and tearing it up. You're exactly right. Smart, real smart fish. Well, let's, let's talk about when they're traveling here. So you're going to a new place, you know, you're like, all right, cool. I'm going to go fish somewhere I've never been before. What do you do for planning when that happens? Well, the first thing I like to do is use technology. I like to pull up satellite imagery and check out where the water temperature is just right. Um, the one I use most is if uh, your general search would be SST, surf. Uh, sea surface temperature and the one that I find really easy to use is by Rutgers University there's a color graph on there where I know that the dark the hot water is going to be red a little bit cooler is going to be yellow but then when I find that baby blue color that's where that 70 degree water is and then beyond that if it's dark blue it's just too cold to fish there so that's one tool that I use and when I get to a new area and I know the temperature's right, and I find dirty water, well, I keep on riding. Um, one day, me and my buddies, we started at uh, daybreak, dirty water. We probably checked 12 spots, and I know we drove at least 80 miles. And 
when we got to the 80 mile mark, the water turned to Bahama blue. And the very first bait that hit the water was a double pompano and whiting. Um, so that's kind of a, a long answer, but I need water temperature and then, then I need water clarity. Then we can see if there's fish there. Yeah, because you can, I mean, you can catch fish, and we've all seen it. You can catch the lucky one in that dirty water, but you're going to have more luck with a fish that's driving down the highway and can see everything versus one that's going to try to put it in front of their nose and try to find it. Yeah, and think about what they're breathing. Right. You know, they're getting, they're getting their oxygen from the water. Would you rather be this pure, clear, you know, Bahama blue water or swim around in chocolate milk? I, I choose blue. Yeah, blue's much better. (laughs) So if the bite is not on, and you kind of answered this with what you just said, but I'll ask this anything too to see if there's anything else that I may be missing. How do you adjust your tactics for fishing when the bite isn't on fire? The biggest thing I can say is if you've got those two things, if you've got the first two things, you've got the temperature and you've got decent water quality and the bite is not there, you need to move. And I don't care if it's moving 100 yards down the beach when you see something that looks a little better or getting back in the car and driving five miles to the next beach. Or like that horrible day where we drove 80 miles to finally find clean water. But now that goes back to the water. But if, if everything looks good and the fish still aren't biting, you, you, gotta, you need to move if you want to catch fish. You can, you can sit there on, on the beach and enjoy your day, you know, look at the seagulls and the scenery. But if you want to catch fish, you got to move. They, they're going to eat every day. They're just not eating in front of you. Um, and I'll go back to one of my mentors, Larry Finch. He told me that years ago. And sure enough, if, if, I'm, if I have to put food on the table, fish in the cooler, if I fish somewhere for 30 minutes and I don't have a bite, it's time to go. They're, they're, they're eating breakfast somewhere. We need, we need to move. So the first thing I do is, Look for something better. And a lot of times that's paid off. That's, that's paid off in trump cards several times where we're not getting a bite at all. And I look down the beach and I was like, good gosh, that's a huge run out. And march down there. And as soon as the bait hits the water, bam, I was, I'm on redfish. I'm on black drum. I'm on pompano. Several times it's, it's, it's really paid off. So, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move. I might move 100 yards. I might move five miles, but I'm going to go find the fish. Yep, look for something better to help you keep, you know, stay on the competitive edge and catch those fish. Like he said, you know, tournament, dinner table, whatever it is, I'm filling the cooler. You, know, you were there for a purpose, so exploit your purpose and get through it. You are exactly right. Well, it has been 40, a uh, little bit longer than 40 minutes here. That means it's time to check that bait again. It is your second bait check of the episode. Hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish by now. Yep, you've been just listening to this while you've been at the beach fishing because reasons, and you know Noel's going to give you a bunch of knowledge, and you're going to adjust to it, so you're just all happy. But now you got a limit. Now you got to go home and listen to this in the car. Right? Right? Oh, no? All right. Well... 
get that bait back in, change it up. Like Noel said, if it hasn't been hitting and it's been 40 minutes, definitely get out of there, move to a new spot, find something better. This bait check is being brought to you by Kids Can Fish. Head over to kidscanfish.net and start checking out the cool stuff that the whole foundation is doing for these kids. They've got the 2023 Running of the Bulls information for the tournament out of St. Simons Island in Georgia. That's coming up soon. You can still sign up. It is a limited space tournament, so don't, uh, don't delay on that if you want to get in on it. But you can also find out a lot more about Kids Can Fish and all the great things that they're doing in the community to help these kids get out there. Kids Can Fish is a state and federally recognized 501c3 charitable foundation. All the camps and clinics that they outreach are funded by the website merchandise sales, sponsors, and your donations. Their mission is to teach kids the fundamentals of fishing and, most importantly, have fun. One of the greatest things they always say, and I love it, more tackle boxes, less Xboxes. Get those kids out there, teach them how to fish, and enjoy the outdoors. Thanks for all that you guys do on that one. And if you uh, listeners, if you want to help out, head on over again to kidscanfish.net and drop in a donation. It'll help some kid get out there and learn how to fish. And you will be super happy about it, because I would be. Moving into the last bits here, um, you fished again. You fished a lot of Florida. You definitely, I know that you always travel up and down the eastern, uh, east coast of it, and you've been to other places too. Based in Jacksonville down to Miami there, how would you say fishing is different in your area than other areas? Yeah, there there is a drastic difference in the beaches in Florida, going from northeast Florida to southeast Florida and then over to the southwest coast and then even up to the panhandle. It's amazing how different the beaches are. And when you get into warmer waters, the different species, um, the biggest thing I noticed the difference is that Northeast Florida uh, down through Central Florida has got more sandbars, definitely more significant sandbars. And I I think that's attributed to how much tidal change we have and how big the currents are. You've got the Atlantic Ocean, which is violent compared to the Gulf of Mexico. So the structure on the East Coast is um, more prevalent and then when you get into southeast Florida from Cape Canaveral all the way down to Miami, it kind of mellows out again where you don't have as much sandbar action. Um, and the same jump in the state over to the southwest coast, it's really the, the, the ocean or the gulf is docile compared to the Atlantic side where you really don't have sandbars. You really don't have the current. You definitely don't have the tide change. Um, and then coming up to the Panhandle, which I love to fish everywhere from from St. George Island over to uh, Pensacola. Um, less current, less tide change, less structure, um, and less elevation. The beaches are much flatter over there. Um, they're actually easier to fish because you don't have to take in consideration uh, five feet of tide change, even over six feet of tide change in six hours can make a huge difference in your success <laughs> and what kind of beach you fish on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got a little advantage of you guys when it comes to the tide thing. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. On the, typically over there in Pensacola, what's a, an average tide change? Oh, what, maybe three feet if we're lucky? Uh, if that, yeah, it's not much. Yeah. That, that would be a big tide change, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, I'd say three, three, anything above three would be big for us. I, I really say three is probably 
even more extreme. It's not much. I mean, and it's so weird that the Gulf of Mexico is such a, it's a giant body of water, but yet we're not affected by the double pull. It's just the strangest phenomenon to me. I'm sure there's something great scientific somebody can explain, but it's so strange to me. Yeah. What a major difference. And Mm -hmm. over on the East coast, you know, it changes every six hours and will be, uh, it can be over six foot of change. So yeah, it's, that's a big consideration um, of where you're going to set up on the beach on an incoming mm-hmm. or an outgoing. So that, that's a major factor in deciding where I'm going to fish. Cause even over here, we've got flatter beaches yeah. where five, five feet of vertical water can be over a hundred yards of beach. Or we've got some beaches over here that are so steep that five feet of water will only be 50 feet difference, mm-hmm. 50 foot difference. Yeah. It's funny too, because when I come fish with you guys for the tournaments and just you know visiting everyone over there, I always know it's like, all right, we're gonna walk a hundred yards forward and then we're gonna start creeping right back over the day. So just be ready, we're gonna move. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's uh, not like put your sand spikes here and we're good for the day. No, you're gonna be moving. Yeah, yeah. We we spoil you guys when you're here. That's that's it's it's nice. You can set the beach chair and just relax if you're catching, unless you got to move. But anyone yeah. that's ever seen Noel over here in our area, we all know. You know Noel and Mark are going to get together and they're going to limit out in a couple hours, and it's going to be fine. You just watch them do it and like, oh, okay, cool. But they're going to catch every time. <laughs> <laughs> all, almost every time. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I've yeah. I mean, I've only seen you have a couple days where you caught onesie twosies. Normally, you guys are definitely on the on the good one. Last time, Mark was like, "Where the fish? Why are the fish not here?" You know, we 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 had some rough fishing last time he came over. Yeah, but the time before that, we couldn't do anything wrong. Oh it yeah, was you know, one of those thirty or forty pompano days where just couldn't do anything wrong. A couple of big uglies and a redfish in there. Even in the rain, last time I was over there with Mark two years ago. We caught so many fish. We're fishing in rain jackets. It was it was it was just redonkulous. I remember that because you guys sent pictures, and a lot of us went. And the other, most of the local anglers were like, "Nah, I'm just gonna wait. I'm just gonna be home." And we're just watching you catch them. It's like, okay, maybe we should go back out. Maybe we should be doing this. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a fun trip. Now I am. Uh, let's talk seasons real quick. So we all know seasonal fishing does matter. You know. We, the, fu- the fall and the spring are obviously the best. The water temperature is normally perfect. The high, the light level, the water clarity, normally you're in a really good spot. And summer and winter being our, okay, you really got to get into fine points of fishing here. You got to be tactical. You got to be smart in how you do it. Have you noticed with seasonal changes, anything different in bait, tackle, time of day, and anything like that that has made a aha moment for you? Yeah, a couple of things. You hit the nail on the head. Spring and the summer are definitely the easiest. The fish are traveling. They're in big schools. The water temperature is right. So the two things I focus on, number one, summer fishing. Summer fishing, I'm only going to really catch fish the first three hours of daylight. Um, When my customers call me, what time are we going to meet on the beach? Let's say it's June, July, or August. I said, we're going to meet at 530. And I hear a little silence. They go, a.m.? (laughs) <laughs> absolutely we, we need lines in the water at first light not sunrise we need water as soon as you can put a bait on the hook we need to be in the water because you mark my words it's going to be like a faucet nine o'clock nine thirty 
there will be nothing. These fish move out to deeper water or move into the, the mouths of the rivers for deeper water. So that's number one in summertime. Um, and throughout the opposite, in the wintertime, um, once the water temperature drops below 65 degrees, it gets really slow. Once the water temperature drops below 60, I, I won't even do a charter unless they just want to, they want to learn how, because I can teach them. I tell people I can teach you how to fish in the Walmart parking lot. But if we're going to catch fish and the water temperature is below 60, I can tell them exactly what we're going to catch. We're going to catch little frozen whiting. We're going to catch a weird species of fish called a dog shark. And we're going to be lucky if we catch that. So, you know, on those winters when it gets really cold over here, I don't go fishing when the water's below 60. That's, I mean, a borderline desolate graveyard anyway. It's, you can do it, like you said, but you're not, you're not going to have nearly as much fun. No, and the, the fish that you do catch, if you're lucky enough to catch a few whiting, they're lethargic. They don't mm -hmm. bite very good because they're, you know, they're, it's just too cold. So yeah. too cold and too hot, that is the challenging times of the year. Yep, for sure. So let's move it over. Let's talk about the business. Let's talk about guiding. <laughs> yeah. This one's the fun one. All right, so what got you into guiding? 14 years ago, I had my nephew and my great-nephew. They came over from Tallahassee. And we just filled the cooler full of fish. I, I couldn't do anything wrong. And my nephew told me or asked me, Uncle Noel, you're so good at this. Why don't you become a guide? And I said to him, there are no surf fishing guides. Ooh, Ooh. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. There's nobody doing this. So I had already taught all my friends and my family how to surf fish. At that time, we started the five years before that we had started the Florida Surfcasters Club and taught everybody there, you know, new members coming in, we could teach them something. So everybody I knew knew how to surf fish. And you mentioned Mark Burford. I, I taught him how uh, he hadn't surf fished before in his life. And now he's pretty darn good at it. So taught all my friends and family and I had that aha moment. So I went to three of my mentors and ran the idea by him. And they said, you know, give it a try. I mean, my, I like that adage, you know, Columbus took a chance and, and look, here we are. So um, I gave it a go and I had no idea how fast it would take off and how much success I would have. So that's really what got me into it. I, uh, everybody I knew knew how to fish already. So let's teach somebody that doesn't know. So that's how 14 years ago, this thing got started. Wow. Well, thank you for doing that. Because you have definitely influenced many lives that have influenced all of us and all the other generation of anglers catching up. So, hey, that's good stuff right there. You're part of you're a part of the important people that helped everyone start learning how to do this and enjoying this sport. So I'm going to say that it may not be official, but I'm saying it. So I'm good with that. <laughs> uh, I believe it. There you go. What comes with going on a trip with you? Um, I tailor it to what the people want to do, but basically. If, if they just want to come catch fish and they want to drink beer and have fun, they're on vacation, that's fine. But what I really like to do is take these 47 years of surf fishing knowledge and condense it down into four hours. People bring their cameras, people bring their, you know, their notepads, their, they ask me a ton of questions. That's what I really like to do is a four hour seminar on the beach. We're going to put some fish in the cooler. You're going to have a good time. And I'm going to try to give you all the knowledge that I have so that 
when you come back to the beach, you'll be a better angler. And I probably say that's probably 80% of my customers. They want to learn so they can do it better themselves. That makes a lot of sense. And you're not the first one to tell me this. And I think more surf charter guys are starting to do it. The knowledge gained by going on a charter is worth its weight in gold. You are exactly right. I've had several people come with me that are now surf fishing guides. And what is that old adage? The sincerest form of flattery is duplication. Yep. So I've given them the knowledge and now they're teaching other people too, which is pretty darn cool. Definitely is a truly wonderful set right there. What is your favorite part of running a charter? Ah, let's see. It's probably twofold. Um, First of all is when people have fun, but they catch their personal best. Whether it be a, whether it be a, an 18 inch whiting or, you know, five pound pompano or a hundred pound black tip or a 40 pound redfish that when people catch a fish bigger than they've ever caught, that's great. But the best part, my favorite part are the kids seeing their excitement. You know, some of them have never been fishing. A lot of them have never been surf fishing. When they, when they feel that pull, that the tug is the drug. When the drag is ripping out. We get that fish up on the beach and we get a good picture. Their smile and their enthusiasm makes me feel like I'm that five-year-old kid in the back of the boat catching that seven-pound bass. <laughs> it's not fair that you get to duplicate the happiness, Noel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really like living living vicariously through their eyes again. It, it's pretty it's a pretty cool feeling. Oh, yes, definitely is. Definitely is. How is running a charter different than your normal fishing day for yourself? So my, my normal day of fishing for me versus doing a charter, a charter, there's tons of talking. People want the knowledge. So I'm fishing as hard as I can. Meanwhile, I'm teaching them how to cast. I'm teaching them about the baits. I'm teaching them about the seasons. I'm teaching them how to land the big fish. So really the big difference is, I'm talking the whole time instead of just fishing or looking for a new place to set up. That's the big difference. Giving them that knowledge versus just putting it into action. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Really a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Yeah. What is the era? What do you consider your service area to do charters? Um, On occasion, I'll go out of my area, but my area of expertise is it's a 100-mile stretch. It stretches from the Florida-Georgia border, which is Fernandina Beach, down to Flagler Beach. So I can get to, you know, either end of my territory in about an hour and a half. So it all depends on if the people want to fish right behind their condo or their house or where they're vacationing or even with their favorite spot to go to versus if I get to choose, I'm going to take them where I know the bite is better. Um, this coming weekend, I've got a charter up in Bernardina Beach. That's at the north end of my territory. But I know if we went 20 or 30 miles south of there, we'd probably catch more fish. But that's okay. They want to learn on their beach. So in a nutshell, it's a 100-mile stretch. That's a lot of distance, but very cool that you can cover all that and I'm sure with that hundred miles too, there's a little bit of difference in the game, a little bit different for the beach firing, whether it's a, you know, high impact, low impact, something like that. But you've got a lot of different things that you have to factor in when you're playing that much mileage. You are exactly right. 
you know, travel time's the biggest thing. You know, when that alarm yeah. clock goes off at 4:30, it's like, okay, it's go time. Let's let's crank up the adrenaline. Let's go do this. But yeah, I like fishing closer. Obviously, the center of my territory is Ponte Vedra Beach, and anybody that's fished over here, you know, that's a high impact beach. So, yeah, just depends on what the customer wants to catch, what time of year. That's where I go. See, I'd be in trouble living by you because for me, it'd be that alarm close cloth. Uh, oh my gosh. That alarm clock goes off that early and I'm thinking, yep, it's a Bucky's kind of morning right now. It's going to be coffee and breakfast burrito. <laughs> Love that damn place. It gets me in so much trouble just going into it. <laughs> me and you both. Yeah. Mine's, uh, unfortunately that time of the morning, the only thing I've got is McDonald's, but, uh, so yeah, it's uh, eat eat some of that stuff, or even better, pack a pack a better breakfast on the road. Yep, yeah, always good to bring chow with you when you're doing them that. Uh, how do people book trips with you or look you up to go on a charter? Uh, they find me mainly through my website. Um, in the beginning, when I started this, if you type in surf fishing guide, I was right at the top. Yeah. Um, now, if you type in surf fishing guide Florida or something like that, you'll still find me in the first you know, few entries. So I would say most of it is through my website on a, on a search. Um, some of it is through Facebook. Um, uh, quite a bit of it is also word of mouth and doing it so long, you know, I've got repeat customers that I've fished four or five times, um, when they come to vacation on Florida or just want to have a great time. So the social media and both and word of mouth. Perfect. And word of mouth business is absolutely, we all know, the absolute best kind of business that you can get your hands on. You are exactly right. <laughs> Sometimes it's not a, it's not a review. I don't, I'm, I'm not real adapt to social media, so I don't have, you know, the different type of searches where people do reviews. And um, so, yeah, my website and word of mouth, that it seems to get it done. And, and uh, that's how I meet most people. Perfect. Well, the last question here, what have been some valuable lessons learned after starting and running your charter business for this long? Hmm. All right. All you surf fishing guides out there that have <laughs> flattered me by duplicating my success. The biggest thing is by asking a lot of questions before you ever meet them on the beach. That's the biggest, not just saying, okay, we're going to meet on May 1st at sunrise at Ponte Vita Beach. I'm going to ask them a lot of probing questions to find out what they really want to get out of that day. Um, the biggest thing is whether you want to learn everything. You just want to catch fish. You know, even do you want to sleep in? Is, is meeting at 6.30 a.m., is that too early? You know, because a lot of people on vacation, they don't want to do that. Um, so... Ask them how far they're willing to travel. And one thing that really has has bitten me a couple of times in the beginning is ask about their physical ability. That's that's really in the beginning. That's where I had a shortfall. You know, ask them, are you comfortable walking 100 yards in soft sand? Because some people aren't, um, whether they're elderly or they have a disability. So I'll cater my charter based on you know, what can you do? How far do you want to go? Um, you know, you need a restroom nearby. Um, be sure to pack a snack. It's going to be four hours on the beach. 
just bring whatever. I'll bring everything except what it takes to make you comfortable for four hours on the beach. So having asked all those questions in the beginning makes for a much more enjoyable time for them on the beach. Excellent point, Noel. I mean, that piece right there of knowing their physical abilities, you're the first person to ever say that. And, you know, for my self-happiness after falling and busting up my leg, the idea of walking a couple hundred miles down the beach or or a couple hundred yards down the beach with a bum knee. Oh, man, I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm going to stay home. Appreciate you. That's really good that that thought, you know, that's something you found and has tailored your stuff to. That's huge. Yeah, it is. Learn the hard way, but I don't make that mistake anymore. <laughs> the best kind of lessons are the painful sometimes. <laughs> it's the ones you don't duplicate no, and that's... you remember really, really well. <laughs> that's a damn truth right there. That's absolute truth. Well, we come up into this section here. Now we're moving to the closing one, but we got to get that out of the way. It is your third and final bait check of the episode. Hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish. Everything is good. And if not, you've changed locations, you've changed bait, and you got a couple and you're just moving it again. Bring that line in. Make sure you got everything good. New bait. Maybe change it. Change up the rig. Whatever you got to change. Hopefully it's going well. This bait check is being brought to you by The Sinker Guy. Go over to thesinkerguy.com and look at all the stuff that Chip's got going on in The Sinker Guy Garage. Need to get your hands on the Bruno rig? His uh, signature? little rig going on there yep he's got them maybe you need the mortician rig or the snoods that come with it terminal tackle pieces he's got it in the shop there maybe you want to get your hands on those scissors bait scissors and also uh braid scissors they're great he's got all that stuff in there lots of fun stuff also with bait and you may see some stuff coming up here pretty soon that you're gonna want to keep a close eye on I mean that's just a you know evil hint that i'm dropping there so go over to the sinkerguy.com get your order in today so we'll get on these last ones here, and we'll get you out of here. What knowledge would you give to a brand new angler just starting out on their adventures? The biggest thing is don't get frustrated. I can't tell you how many. Well, I'll tell you one example, and I'll tell you some things that that factor into that. Me and the wife went to the beach on vacation. We caught two limits of pompano in about an hour and a half, and that's when you could keep ten pompano apiece. And I called up my buddies that three of them came and met us on the beach the next day. That was on Friday morning. On Saturday morning, they came. The water, the water was a nine or a 10. The wind was from the same direction. We were on the same tide, just 45 minutes difference. And we had four great anglers with 16 rods in the water. Not only did we not catch a pompano, we didn't even lose a bait, not a Whoa. crab, not a nibbler nothing didn't lose a bait in three hours of fishing with 16 rods so you're talking about frustrated you know i'm glad that i had pictures showing them we had 20 pompano the morning before but that big school of pompano left there wasn't a whiting there wasn't even a crab left so don't get frustrated and here's the things i teach people the five things that will ruin your day of surf fishing and don't get don't get mad about it or don't don't get frustrated because the ocean and the Gulf are always changing. So here's the things not to let get you down because you can't control mother nature. Number one is weeds. We all know about weeds and over there on the Gulf side too, y'all got that thing called June grass, Mm -hmm. you know, it comes and goes. So weeds will ruin your day. 
The next thing we talked about a couple times is dirty water. You know, you're not going to have a lot of success in dirty water. Over here, I've got to deal with current. Sometimes a five-ounce Sputnik sinker won't hold. The, the ocean is moving that fast north to south. The next thing is wind. Wind can ruin your day. When that wind gets above 15 miles an hour, it's hard to tell the difference between wind and a, and a fish bite. When you get up above 20, uh, your rod is whipping around in the wind, so don't get frustrated with the wind. And the last thing you just need to leave is lightning. Um, usually when lightning gets closed, the bite shuts down, but that's the five things that are ruining your day. You have no control over it. I have no control over it. You know, as a pro, I'm supposed to put fish in the cooler, but if I've got one of those five things that's mother nature, I've got no control over, it's not going to be a successful day. So when you start your journey on surf fishing, just know you're going to have one of those days where you can't do anything wrong. The fish are there, and you've got a good bait, and you're going to have a blast. So don't get frustrated when you're beginning. Well put, well said. Absolutely perfect. What do you think has been a reason for such a surge to surf fishing? I think it's really twofold. We think back when COVID hit, you know, life was pretty good. And then things just went crazy. Um, recreational stuff just exploded. It was hard to find a boat. It was hard to find an RV. It was, it was hard to find a lot of stuff because people just turned their interest into more staying at home and staying with the family and, and trying to create some fun during that crazy time. So that's one factor, I think. And the other factor is simply affordability. Um, even if you've got the, the best gear and the best cart, uh, you don't have a lot of money in it compared to owning a boat. And then you still got to buy the fishing. You still have to buy the, all the tackle. Um, so I think between that, our, our society kind of changed when COVID hit. People were looking for different avenues. And the fact that it just doesn't cost a lot of money, especially to get started. Uh, that, the, that pompano I caught in the bar in 1976, I went to the Kmart and bought a rod and reel combo. I think it was $39.95 and thought I'd lost my mind buying this big pole and this big reel for that much money. Um, and it's still true today. Uh, the prices have gone up, but wages have gone up. It's an affordable sport. You're going to the beach. You're going to have fun. I think that's really why it surged so much. Definitely nice. Well put, well put. What do you recommend to someone that's coming to your area to fish that's never been there before does before they even put a line in the water? Well, there's two ways to do it. You can straighten out the learning curve by finding somebody like me that'll teach you as much as you want to learn. That, that's, the, that's the best way to get started. But other than that, the extremely affordable way is you got to be more patient. You're going to go, you're going to visit the bait stores up and down the coast. That's just, you know, the, the people at the bait stores, they meet a hundred anglers every day and anglers like to talk and share about their success. So picking the brain of the bait store owners is a good way. And just as equally as good is talking to, the, to other anglers on the beach. You know, you don't know what you don't know. You, you see some equipment or you see somebody catching fish and you're not catching fish, you need to ask them what bait they're using, 
what kind of tackle they're using. So just by either hiring a professional to get you started or asking a lot of questions from those two sources, the bait stores and other people on the beach. Questions get answered. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Well, this is the last question and we'll get you out of here and you've done amazing. And I've, I mean, I've gained a bunch of knowledge already, so I know everyone else definitely has what's next for you. Uh, let's see. Kind of, I guess, threefold. You know, I'm now looking at retirement from 25 years with a Home Depot. And when I retire in the near future, I'm going to be able to do a lot more charters. And I'm so looking forward to teaching my grandkids. I've got a, a four-year-old granddaughter who we're now catching, we're catching panfish in the backyard in the pond. And she's totally soaking it up. And my grandson will be two this year. So I'm really looking forward to those days when they get in the truck with Papa and we head to the beach and I get to live vicariously through their eyes, the kids that I really love. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing some of those adventures and the pictures that come from that. I'm also selfishly excited for you coming back to the panhandle for your vacations and look forward to fishing with you, man. It's been a, it's been a while, but I'm really excited that you're coming back. Me and you both. We got uh, a week in Pensacola and a week on St. George Island. Can't get to, can't wait to get my toes back in that sugar sand again. <laughs> well, you're not going to bring a chair, so we know you're going to be standing up and getting extra workouts in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Noel, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've done a huge help here with a lot of people. And I know if people want to reach out to talk to you or get in touch with you, it's easily to do. What's the best way to reach out to you? The best way, all my information is on my website, which is thesurfangler.com. You can also send me a message through Facebook. I've got two Facebook um, pages. One is uh, Surf Fishing Guide, and the other one is my name, Noel, N-O-E-L, Kuhn, K-U-H-N. And between those three ways, you can get a hold of me, and, and uh, I can answer your questions, and we can set something up. Perfect. Thanks so much again, Noel, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all that you've done, and I look forward to speaking with you in the future, sir. All right. We will see you again soon, brother. Yes, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. We just had an awesome episode hanging out with Noel. And I don't know about you, but, uh, I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff written down, and it's not just highlights and tags. I mean, I even got a drawing in front of me with an A1A, a Route 1, and an I-95. It might make it online. I haven't decided yet. It's kind of ugly. It's kind of scary. But... Lots of cool pieces there. Hopefully this episode helped you. If it did, don't forget, drop a comment about it. Tell us how it did, but also share it out to somebody because we're all in this together to try to help each other become better anglers to make this more fun for everyone. That's always the best, most important piece. I want you to become better because we all will, right? We all learn from each other. You've been listening to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. I appreciate you being here. I am out of here. See you next week.